First Timothy chapter three. I'm going to read uh, verses one through seven, and if you would stand as I do so. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and we thank you for your presence among us and your purposes for us. We thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and therein you intend to speak to us today. So would your word, as it goes out, be accompanied by the power of your Holy Spirit to accomplish your will in us and through us. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Would the God of glory, the Lord of love, speak? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Everything rises and falls in one form or another on leadership. Leadership is an essential quality in any organization. You can look to successful businesses. You can look to successful, uh, well, businesses, nonprofits, education systems, countries, churches. Leadership matters. Sometimes when the church starts talking about leadership, our first move is to look outward. To look out to the world, to look out to the to the CEOs and to the superintendents and to the principals and to whoever else might be leading successfully in the world and begin to glean from them certain practices and attitudes and drives and directives. And I'm not here to say that that's altogether bad. But I am going to say it's altogether bad if that's altogether the only thing we look at. Because the testimony of Scripture about leadership is sort of counterintuitive. But the way that Christ came leading ought to be the way that we come leading. And in fact, leadership in the church, and particularly what he, Paul begins opening up here, the office of overseer, we'll talk about what that, all that means in a second, is meant... To showcase the character of Christ. That leadership in the church is meant not only to follow Jesus, 
but to show Jesus so that people are shaped into the image of Jesus. So that leadership in the church, this is the whole point of today, so the leadership in the church is meant to show Jesus so that people are shaped into the image of Jesus. Paul writes again to his young young Padawan. I was reading a book. I'm reading a book and I might have to put it down because the author continually calls me Padawan as I'm trying to read his book. And if you don't know, that's a Star Wars reference. Welcome to the 20th century. I don't know. That's, this is 21st, but that was a while ago. Um, but anyways, so he, he writes to his young apprentice, this uh, apostolic emissary that Paul has sent Timothy to the church at Ephesus to write the ship that they have been plagued by uh, false teachers from the without, false teaching from within. And we see this even as something that Paul uh, forecasted. He predicted in Acts chapter 20, and we'll actually refer to that text in a minute. Uh, but he refers to that, that, that savage wolves would arise up from within the church and begin to consume, right? If wolves are in the middle of a flock, their job is to consume, right? If wolves are around a bunch of lambs and sheep, they're going to eat the sheep. And this is consistently, not just, to, that, not just Paul here, but consistently how false teachers are described in the life of God's people, that they consume them. They consume their spirit. Not, this isn't some weird, but, but they consume their, their spiritual vitality. They consume their resources. This is one of the abominable things about the pastors who preach the, the, the false gospel of prosperity gospel, that there's actually preying upon people monetarily. Now, there are plenty of pastors who prey upon people otherwise, leaders in the church who prey upon people otherwise, but those, that's all wolf behavior. Wolf cons- wolves consume the flock. Shepherds protect and provide and build up the flock. When Paul writes to Timothy saying, uh, the saying is trustworthy, that very first phrase shows, shows up four times in the pastoral epistles. This is a, 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 it should be a headline, like, like Paul is giving Timothy, here's a he- highlighter, pay attention to this. The last time we saw it was in chapter one with the very, the wonderful phrase, this is a trustworthy statement, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Pay attention to that, that's the heart of the gospel. Jesus didn't come for your goodness, he came for your badness. It is your weakness and your brokenness that actually qualifies you for the gospel and of the kingdom. You just have to get straight with God about it. It's when you try to huddle it up and cover it up, you're actually exempting yourself from all of the blessings you might have in Jesus. That's profoundly good news, dear ones. Pay attention to that. And Paul here tells Timothy, pay attention to this. Why? Why would Paul say, pay attention to this to Timothy? Right? Remember, Ephesus... They're plagued by false teaching. We talked at length last week about that there were self-willed, self-appointed women who were preaching, taking the pulpit and establishing themselves in authority in the churches. And that actually wasn't solving the problem. It was exacerbating the problem. And what Paul is saying, if you want to see long-term transformative Long term transformation in the life of the church in Ephesus, 
you have to raise up leaders. Because biblical leaders, they look like Jesus. Now they're human, right? But they look like Jesus so that Jesus will be formed in the lives of the people. And one of the ways, one of the ways biblical leaders embody the life of Jesus is by taking on the false teaching of the wolves. John Calvin, the great theologian, pastor, I don't care how you feel about him. Um, You might have been told lies about him. He's not my hero or anything. But he said this. Uh, He said that the pastor must have two voices. He must have a voice for calling the sheep in. And he must have a voice for driving the wolves out. And that perfectly embodies what I'm trying to say here. And actually what Paul says to Titus later on. In Titus chapter 2. Titus again is, is occupying the same position as Timothy. Just on the island of Crete, he is a, a, an, an emissary of the Apostle Paul to carry on his work there at the church in Crete. Uh, and he says this. Oh, I lost it. Oh, man, where'd it go? Oh, verse 9 of chapter 1. Um, talking about uh, elders and overseers, which are synonymous. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, But for the overseers, God's steward must be above reproach. This is verse 7. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able, one, to give instruction and sound doctrine, a voice to call in the sheep, and also to rebuke those who contradict it, a voice to drive out the wolves. So the shepherd, Paul is telling telling Timothy, whoever wants to be an overseer, whoever wants to have this leadership office, it's a noble task because you're embodying, you're taking on the very mission and work of Jesus, driving out wolves and wolves and calling in the sheep. And this is precisely what the church at Ephesus needs. There needs to be a multiplication. Now hear me. There needs to be a multiplication of those types of voices in this one church. There needs to be a multiplication of these voices that are driving out the wolves, calling in the sheep. There needs to be a multiplication of those voices in this one local church. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, what is an overseer? You might have negative connotations from your history classes, but an overseer is simply, this is the word uh, episkopos, where we get episcopal. Uh, Your translation might have it as bishop, right? It might translate it as bishop. Uh, And uh, that this is someone who is given management and oversight over something. And when Paul addresses these This church in Acts chapter 20, a few years before this, he calls in the elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. uh, I mean, excuse me, in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come. So the elders, this is a group of pastoral leaders, leaders in the life of the church. I just want you to notice some of you will know exactly where I'm going with that. But what I want you to see is that there is a plurality and a singularity. 
There are elders of the church. There's elders, plural, of the church, singular. That there is more than one who is embodying this type of leadership office in the life of the church at Ephesus. And these same elders, later on, in verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So that the same ones that he calls, that are described as elders, this office of elder, not simply that they're old, er, but that they're, they occupy an office. They are called overseers. And in that same verse, in verse 28, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Key in on that. That's a shepherd language. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. That's the ESV. Uh, That literally means to shepherd the church of God. Did you know that the title pastor as a noun only occurs one time in the New Testament? In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. One time and yet it's the most predominant title that we have in church leadership today. There's senior pastors, worship pastors, children's pastors, youth pastors, Discipleship pastors, family pastors, missions pastors, pastor, 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 pastor. Um, but, the, but the Bible, and I'm not saying we have to like revert it, but I'm just saying the Bible by and large talks about that pastoral leadership in the local church in terms of elder first, overseer second, then pastor or shepherd. That's, that's what she, pastor means, shepherd. So when Paul writes to Timothy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he's saying, if anyone wants to be, in our terms, if anybody wants to be a pastor, if anybody wants to be a pastor, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This aspire and desire, I want to spend a little bit of time here, even though we're we're pressing into it, uh, that this is both an outward exertion and an inward drive. The language, the word for aspire means to stretch oneself out for it. That there should be for a man who wants to be a pastor in a local church, they should have to stretch for it. It should not be something that's handed to them. There should be a laboring for it, a praying for it, a waiting for it, a humility for it. If you ever find a man who wants to be a pastor or an elder or an overseer in the, in the local church and he believes that he is entitled to it at that very moment, it is evidence that he is not ready for it at that very moment. There was a time in my life I was sharing with our group, our, our BBC Connect, the 101 class, the members, membership class. Uh, there was a time in my life that I... I knew, I I mean, when the Lord called me to ministry, it was in the middle of preaching. It was in the midst of preaching, preparing a message, preaching a message. And I knew I had to preach. I would not settle for any sort of other ministry. But because of that, uh, I had to wait. And even when I graduated seminary and I felt compelled to preach and I was called to the local church uh, and I graduated, I had this, this. And it was at the time, it was arrogance and pride. I just believe that if I, and I was 27, um, and I thought I was, you just, I literally had this attitude before the Lord. Uh, if you just place me anywhere, I'll fix it. I see all these broken churches, you just get me there. Get me in, get me in one of them, I'll, I'll fix it. And he put me in one. And, and I couldn't fix it. <laughs> very, very quickly realized that I couldn't fix it. 
But even in the process, right, I was examined by an ordination council. I was quizzed. I had an ordination service. They laid hands on me. And I still had to go through that sanctifying process that I couldn't imagine if it, if it weren't for Hurricane Katrina, right? I would have been graduating seminary uh, like two years before that as a 25-year-old with an even bigger ego. Um, and so I say that, that it's a good thing to aspire for it. But it must be something that you're willing to wait and stretch out for. It's an outward aspiration and it's an inward desire for the task. If you want to be a pastor, you need to want to do the work. You don't need to want to have the platform. You don't need to want to have the pulpit. You don't want to have a title before your name or after your name or a special office at the church. If that's what you're after in seeking pastorate, seeking a pastoral position, some of there are men in this room who are wrestling through this or feel called to it. So it might not feel applicable to you, but it will be applicable to you um, 20, 30, 40 years down the road when the Lord calls me somewhere else. It'll be 30 years from now. Don't worry. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you might you might get wise quicker than that, but. They have to want the work, not the title. They need to want the work, not the acclaim. Because as soon as you get into this position, you learn uh, for as many pats on the backs you get, you get twice as many slaps in the faces, face over the years. You need to want the work. I heard that back there. Amen. Whoever said that? Amen. They know, they know back there. It ain't easy. But you need to want the work of saying, I'm going to defend God's people and I'm going to preach the gospel to call the saints home. One of the, if I had a, a, it's not my life verse, but maybe my my pastoral life verse. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation of, that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That one of the driving factors for a pastor to wake up and do it over and over again, not just when things are great and happy and glad like they are right now here, but like they were for me in 2016, or promises like that. I will endure everything and anything for the elect that Jesus has a bride. That they would be drawn home. And the only way they're drawn home is through the proclamation of the gospel. That is the wooing voice of the shepherd for Jesus' sheep. Whoever aspires and desires for it's a noble task. And Paul lays out here not a job description, but a character description. This is character Dear ones, if you hear anything from me about the pastoral role and office in the life of a church, it must be that character always, always, always trumps skill. Godliness is always, always, always more significant than giftedness. Do not, do not chase the charismatic, now I don't mean like that theologically, but I don't, don't chase just the guy that can be exciting and catch a crowd and tell you all the good things, but look for a godly man. And for us as a church, right, I remember I, I, this is just a, I'm just, this is just 
Parmesan cheese on top of the spaghetti right now. Okay, this is not the, this is not the meat of it. But if we're going to see plurality in the singularity, if we're going to be a church that has, a, has more than one elder, which is something I have prayed for, I've taught on, I've shared with various groups of people, and when the Lord makes it true and right that we're ready for it, that's the way that we're going to go. Until then, I'll patiently tell you that I believe that this is the biblical model and picture for us in the New Testament, that there should be a plurality of elders in one single church. That there should be a group of pastorally called individuals that make up an elder group, a, past, a plurality of pastors, if that makes you easier language. That's not a Presbyterian idea. That's not a Methodist idea. That's not a Reformed this idea or a charismatic this idea. That I believe that to be a biblical model for the local church. That he called up together the, the elders of the church in Ephesus. There's plenty of evidence beyond that in the New Testament. That's not my point today. But as we press into that, and as we, we pray for it, and we look for that as a future for us, for our church, please understand that if we get a, a plurality, and by that I mean more than one. It's just an easier, prettier word than more than one. A plurality of elders, then we have to be sure that we are after men who are not just good business leaders. They're not just you know, prominent in the community. That kills a church. But they must be godly. They have to be called with a godly character. Above all else. And so he lays out this character description. And the umbrella under which all of this falls. Is that they must be above reproach. That if you throw mud on the truck. It slides right off. That the skeletons in the closet are sufficiently repented of and sufficiently buried. That there's nothing that's going to rise up and stick to them. That the world can throw what they will at them. But these are holy men. Above reproach. And what does that mean? The first one is a husband of one wife. And this could take a whole message. So a husband of one wife. I believe my interpretation. Uh, that if Paul were looking. This, that, this, that all of these things talk about a, the present sense of a person. The present condition of a person. That they are presently faithful to their wife. They presently only have one wife. That there were plenty of instances in the first century, predominantly in, in, in Jewish communities, where polygamy was practiced. Where there were more than one wife. wife wives? More than one wife. More than one wives. That makes no sense. Um, and so that, that Paul is giving Timothy this injunction saying... This, these men must have one wife and be faithful to her. Literally, the Greek is one woman man. I think if we expand this out and saying that this person could never have been remarried, then you're saying that if you would exclude widowers, you would exclude, exclude those who had, uh, I think there are biblical grounds for certain, type, certain types of, of divorce. And I know we're cracking open an egg that I don't have time to, to scramble, um, but here it is. Uh, because all of these things talk about who they are right now. It doesn't said, say that they were never a drunkard, that they were never violent, that they were never quarrelsome, that they were never lover of money. If this were somehow saying you must have had this level of character your whole entire life, then everybody's out the window. There's nobody left to occupy these offices. But we need to understand that this is a high calling. 
That if someone is aspiring to and desiring the noble task of being a pastor or an elder or an overseer, remember all of those terms are the same thing in the New Testament. We're all describing the same office and different functions and facets of that office. Uh, Then there has to be a high character. um, And it has to be first seen in the home. Husband of one wife, managing his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children in submission. That doesn't mean that you're keeping them under your thumb, obviously. You're not beating them with a belt all the time, obviously. But that they're they're kids who listen because the home is the trying ground of the church. The Puritans talked about the home as a little church. But the thing I should say right now is that as Paul lines out these character descriptions of an overseer or a pastor in the local church, that these are not exclusive to elders, overseers, pastors. That what Paul is holding up is like, this is what a Christian should look like. And your your leaders should be examples to the flock. First Peter chapter five, when Peter writes to the elders of the churches, he says, They need to be examples to the flock. So me being a one woman man means that men, you need to be one woman men. Ladies as well, be one husband women. Means that we need to treat our homes as little churches. And I should be living in such a way as that's true. Now, there's anyways, I, I, I could make a few jokes and some serious things about that. Um, hurting, hurting cats or chickens or whatever else it is in my house right now. But, but the, ch- the home is a little church. But in, in all of these character, right? Because the character of an overseer or a pastor is so high, sometimes we think, well, those are super Christians. God's called you to that, Jacob. He's called you that, that, to that office and therefore to that level of godliness. But God's called me to this so that he's, because he's calling you to this as well. So that my life, so awkward getting these texts, my life would be an example to you. That because he's addressing this to overseers, it does not exempt the regular Christian from a call to holiness. Be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. If you're connected to the Lord God, then you are called to a holy life. Husband of one wife, sober-minded or level-headed, able to restrain, right? Bite your tongue. Each one of these, I want to be like, and there was this one time. And there was this one time. (laughs) Um, Self-controlled, self-apparent, right? Self-controlled. You control when you go to bed. You control when you go to go to you wake up. You control how much you eat. You control how much your activity. You control how how you use your language. What's in your thoughts? What are you intaking? What's going out of you? What are you saying? How are you spending your time? Self control is a fruit of the spirit, dear ones. It's not just for pastors. Respectable, again, hospitable, welcoming strangers and other people into their home. And here's the the one competence. The end of verse two, that an overseer must be able to teach or skillful in teaching. One thing that this points to, and I've said this before, 
But the primary way that a local church pastor shepherds is through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. That I said primary, I didn't I don't mean only. I did not say exclusively, but I said primary. The primary way that I function as an under shepherd to the good shepherd Jesus in your life is by preaching and teaching the word of God to you. And one thing that means is that you need to be positioned at some point to receive the preaching and the teaching of the word of God from your pastor. It's fine that if you want to go listen to a podcast, there are better technical preachers. I'm sure there are preachers that are better to listen to, that are easier for you to understand. Okay, I'm not saying supplement it, but I'm saying if I'm going to be your pastor, then you need to listen at some point to the preaching and the teaching of the word of God that happens in this pulpit. Because the podcast guy is not going to show up at the hospital for you. He's not going to come over to your house if you call him and ask him. He's not going to be answering the phone in the middle of the night if you call. And that is not me saying, look how great I am. You guys know I've been here eight years. And a beautiful thing about being somewhere eight years is that you know my warts and I know your warts and we still love each other. And you know plenty of times where I have not been perfect and I have failed and I had to go to some of you and say, I'm sorry. I dropped the ball here and I didn't do this or whatever it was. And you've been gracious with me. But the primary way that a local church pastor shepherds his people is through preaching and teaching the word of God. And that's why Paul puts plants right in the middle of this passage. They must be able to teach. That includes any and every elder of the local church, by the way. Not just the preaching pastor, whatever gets so convoluted in some churches. Not a drunkard, right? Not, not someone who is given to drunkenness. This is not a prohibition on alcohol in general, by the way. Laughter and pin, pin drops everywhere. That's not this sermon either. But it's what he's saying here. They must not be a drunkard. Not violent. I love the NASB right there. Not pugnacious. Um, I remembered that uh, there was one time when we were ordaining deacons and uh, we had a, one of the one of our deacons. Then he was reading this passage and he brought his own Bible into the pulpit. But then we had the NASB, you know, because I like the NASB, uh, but it's kind of hard to understand sometimes. And we had it up on the screens. And he, so instead he started reading that and he got to pugnacious. And it was, I was that in that moment, I was like, maybe it's not meant for public reading in the local church. Um, but it just means you're not a, a pugilist, a boxer. You're not given the violence like a pastor cannot get his way through being a pulpit bully. Or through being a bully in other ways, right? Not just in the pulpit. Not a lover of money. I promise you guys, if you're wrestling with the pastorate, you do, don't get into it for the money. You guys, I'm supremely blessed. Don't misunderstand me. I'm incredibly thankful for how this church has consistently taken care of me and my family. This is not a knock. Okay, but you don't get into this for the money. You get into it for the sake of Christ and his glory and his bride. Not a lover of money. And I've already been over the household stuff. How will he take care of the church, God's church if he can't t- take care of his own home? And he must not be a recent convert 
Or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. What's the condemnation of the devil? Pride. Pride was a big one. This is why a man who is looking to be an elder, pastor, overseer in a local church, they need to, they need to work for it a little bit. It needs to be stretched. There needs to be an examination. Paul says later to Timothy, he says, don't be too hasty in laying on of hands. Don't be hasty in ordaining elders or pastors in a local church. Take your time. Look at their life. And this is a lesson I've had to learn over and over again, um, particularly with deacons, but also in other, other instances with pastors and elders. We can't be quick uh, to seal somebody in the ministry that way. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. When I read this, sometimes I'm like, why would I care what the outsiders think of me? Because, dear ones, that's where the mission is. That's where the mission is. There are those who have yet to believe in the gospel that are roaming the streets right now. There are those who will be saved who might have heard or might not have heard. But the local church shepherd must take up the call of Christ to bring the gospel to bear on the world outside. And if I have no voice outside, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be popular. I know it with with all the things I say and all the stances I take, particularly in our culture today. But being above reproach and living a holy life in this world, in this culture right now, makes you particular and peculiar to the world. And in a sort of a simultaneously repulsive and attractive way. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. The devil lives to tear up homes, tear up uh, families, and to tear up churches. And one of the ways that he tears up churches is by disgracing pastors who fall away, who fall into sin, who fall into um, malformed character, who begin preaching messages for itching ears rather than preaching the word of God. And for these reasons and more, I ask for your prayers. Um, It is a scary thought. So what do we do here? Well, if the life of the pastor is meant to be a life that you aspire to, it's meant to be an, an example for you. So as I follow Jesus, I should be living a life Your pastor should be living a life that you could imitate in following Jesus. So please, please do not regard me as some super Christian because I promise you I am not. If there is any goodness here, it is by God's grace, truly and sincerely. But if there's any way that my life, my preaching admonishes you and encourages you to greater following Jesus, take those steps. Some of you need to be pressed into living a life. You need to be encouraged about living a life above reproach. Living a life of faithfulness in the context of your marriage. Some of you need to examine your characters or undo anger there. 
Is your tongue too sharp to those who criticize you? Are you too concerned about what other people think? Is your life spinning out of control that you have no handles on it? Self-control seems like the farthest thing for you. Then you need to understand two things. One, God does not love you because you perform. This is not a try harder, do better part of the sermon. This is the part of the sermon where I say, look to Jesus. The more entranced and focused upon Christ you come, you begin to see the effects of the gospel in your own life. And your deficiencies, which we all have them, our failures, our sin, are seen in the light of God's grace to us given in Christ. And so you seek to live, for example, you seek to be faithful and not quarrelsome or violent or a bully. Not because you're trying to make yourself something that God will approve of. But because you've already been approved of in Christ. You want to grow into what you already are, dear ones. You're in Jesus. He is. In him we have redemption. The forgiveness of our trespasses by his blood. According to his grace which he lavished upon us in the beloved. You're forgiven. You're whole. Now go live like it. And to live like it means that you pursue holiness. There's a holiness. Eugene Peterson, who, whatever you feel about him, he had this great quote about holiness. That holiness is the highest human life. It's the highest and the happiest human life. If the Lord is holy, then you could be fully assured that he is full of joy and satisfaction in the, the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. And that's what holiness means for you. Satisfied in God and living like it. But when you're not satisfied in God, you're going to be living in all these different ways, trying to find fullness. So look to Christ. Look to Christ and consider some of you. Consider whether you desire this noble task and then examine your life in light of it. And for our church, as we prayerfully proceed one day to have a plurality of pastors, would we look for these characters, characteristics? Would we look for godliness? Would we cherish holiness? Above all the things that the world would tell us to look for in a leader, trusting that the Lord builds his church according to his way. So hear the words of the good shepherd who is the overseer, the guardian and the overseer of our souls. First Peter tells those churches in first Peter chapter two, verse 25, that Jesus is the guardian and the overseer of our souls. So Jesus is your good shepherd. Jesus is the one who walks with you, who protects you, who provides for you, who fins off the darkness for you, who intercedes for you even now. Jesus is the one who has given you his spirit that you would never be alone. So hear the words of your overseer, Christ the Lord, and follow him wherever he may lead.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word, for the truth of your word, and for the power of your presence. Would you be our God who leads us, our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And Lord, I pray if there are any who have not known that, who have lived a life seeking your approval, seeking their own satisfaction through their own means, would you show them the bankruptcy of that path and that they would look to Christ, the guardian and overseer of their soul? Would you give them grace to turn from sin and trust in Jesus? To believe upon Christ, to be saved. For your church, for your people, I pray, O Lord, that they would know and value godliness over giftedness, character over competence even. That, Lord, they would begin to see as you see and evaluate as you evaluate. And that, Lord, in your time and in your way, would you give us grace as a church to model what I believe is the model of the New Testament, to have a plurality of elders over this local body for your glory, that we might gratefully and more fully image Jesus to each other and to this world. So accomplish your will today through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.